Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. talk a good line, but they don't live it. They don't take it into their hearts and live it out in their behavior. It's all spit and polish veneer. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't lift a finger to help. Their lives are perpetual fashion shows, embroidered prayer shawls one day and flowery prayers the next. They love to sit at the head table at church dinners, basking in the most prominent positions, preening in the radiance of public flattery, receiving honorary degrees and getting called doctor and reverend. Don't let people do that to you. Put you on a pedestal like that. You all have a single teacher and you are all classmates. Don't set people up as experts over your life, letting them tell you what to do. Save that authority for God. Let him tell you what to do. No one else should carry the title of father. You have only one father and he's in heaven. And don't let people maneuver you into taking charge of them. There is only one life leader for you and them, Christ. You can be seated. Amen, right? I feel like I don't have anything else to say after that. Just go home. I'm going to preach that. That is so good. Um, Hey, if you're brand new to ACF, we're glad that you're with us here today. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just excited about this season as a church. Uh, I just got back from uh, Czech Republic, from Prague. In fact, we want to say hi to everybody who's watching online, and even in Prague right now, uh, that just thank you that you guys are with us, and thankful that you're part of our family. Uh, There's a group of people, including our global workers, who get together every week, and uh, they're part of ACF Church from a distance, 
And so we're so glad that you guys are with us as well and excited about what's coming this, ne- this fall. Lots going on as we come into November. We're going to start a new global initiative there uh, with some big goals that we're going to set together as a church. And then it's going to be Christmas and 2019. So uh, this year is going really, really fast. Exciting things happening. Um, also, we had the Enough Gathering this weekend. Was that awesome? Some of you ladies were at that. That was so good. I think uh, they had over 100 ladies in this room gathering together uh, to just understand what it means to be enough. And I just love that. And it fits really well with where we're going today, actually. And we're we're in a series of talks uh, that's called Airplane Mode. And this is a conversation about technology. And we're asking the question each week, really, what are we losing with technology? So understand this is not an anti-technology series. I'm going to preach on an iPad. We've got speakers and amps on stage, and we're projecting everything else out online. And so we love technology. We want to leverage technology for the kingdom of God. And yet at the same time, we want to slow down our pace a little bit and simply ask the question, what are we losing as we progress? What are we losing as we kind of accept everything that's been given to us technology-wise And so we've talked about binging on Netflix the first week. Last week, Pastor Josh just did a great job of talking about this this idea of YouTube and how we just, we want to know things. We don't want to learn things anymore. Uh, We we haven't appreciated the process of mentorship and apprenticeship, and and yet there's so much to be gained from that rather than just viewing a video online and figuring things out. And, And so life is moving quickly. And there's things that are, I think, being robbed from us as we have this pace. And I would say that our society today is marked by anxiety. We're marked by worry and frustration and, and, and even people just fighting with each other. We're, we're not a better um, society with the technology as it progresses. I don't know that it's helping us. And in fact, I want to read this quote. That I thought this was really good stuff. It says this, Life has become a maelstrom in which speed and accomplishment, consumption and productivity have become the most valued human commodities. In the trance of overwork, we take everything for granted. We consume things, people, and information. We do not have time to savor this life nor to care deeply and gently for ourselves, our loved ones, or our world. Rather, with increasingly dizzying haste, we use them all up and throw them away. And I feel like this is a, is a way of describing most of our lives, anxiety, a fast pace. It's a, it's a, it's a disposable culture. We just kind of use people, use things, and then we move on to the next thing instead of slowing down. So I hope today, uh, I don't know what you're going through or what brought you to church today, but I just hope you can breathe for a minute. And I hope that you can just let your body catch up with your soul for a minute. And maybe that you can interact with God for just a moment. Today, we're going to talk about the Instagram phenomenon. Who's got Instagram? Raise your hand in the room. Most people have Instagram. So this has been a huge deal in our world. Um, Ever since like Facebook bought Instagram, it's just exploded. I don't know if it's the number one social media platform, but it's definitely getting there. And, And things have changed a lot. And specifically, I want to talk about a phenomenon of, of Instagram, and it's something called the selfie. I want to talk about the selfie today. And and so would anybody be courageous enough to say that they've taken a selfie before? So anybody in the room? Most of you have taken selfies before. And and I was thinking about pictures growing up and how, like, we used to do family photo day. And this was something we planned for weeks in advance. You know, we didn't have, like, like cameras in our pockets. And so my dad would plan family photo day. And we'd all, you know, get dressed up in matching clothes. And we'd go out to a location, and he'd bring his camera. And it was something like this. 
you know? Some of you maybe have seen something like this before. Others of you have no idea what this is. This is an old school Polaroid camera. And if you've used these before, you know that the picture comes out and then you do this, right? I don't know if it helps or not, but you do that. You, you shake the, 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 the picture in hopes that it'll develop. And then over the course of 10, 15 minutes, you start to see the, the picture be developed. And, but my dad, he had, he had one of these. He also had a camera with film. And, and, and it was, you would take the family photo. Everybody, you know, they'd take 10 or 12 photos. And then you, you didn't know how it turned out, right? It's not like today where you can check on your phone, oh, that's a good one. You just took lots. You used up an entire roll of film, and then you sent it to Walmart, right? And then two weeks later, you went to Walmart, you know, hoping for the best in your family photos. And then you went over to the filing cabinet, and then you found the, the, the file with your last, some of you are just looking at me like I'm crazy. Anybody been there? Okay, a few of you know this. Okay, so you find the file with your name in it and you open it up and you see your family photos. And so, I mean, this, it used to be such a big process. And, and now we've got phones in our, in our pockets that are, you know, a hundred times better than the best camera 10 years ago. And, and then we've developed this new habit of the selfie. We love taking pictures of ourselves and, and putting them online for the world to see. And this is relatively new. I just, I never remember my dad doing one of these, right? Can you imagine? All right, kids, get in the photo. You know, like that just never happened. It's just, it's such a new phenomenon, this, this idea of putting out a, a certain self to the world. And, and this is really what I want to spend my time in this conversation about sort of producing a self for the world. Uh, and, and for most of us, it's, it's a false self. It's a, it's a created self. In fact, the idea of managing the self that you put out to the world is like a million-dollar industry now. I mean, you can, you can actually hire somebody to manage yourself, the self that you put out to the world, and, and they'll make sure that good pictures are out there on the Internet and, and that good things are written about you and, and just manage the image that you have. And I want to say that, you know, at a face value, this doesn't seem like a big deal. Some of you are like, what's the big deal? It's just a selfie. It's just Instagram. And again, I'm not getting rid of my Instagram account, and and I don't know if you need to either. But there's something, there's a deeper need that's going on here. There's something, there's always something below the surface, a need that that God, I believe, is placed inside of our souls uh, to to be experienced, that we're looking to, to be fulfilled through social media and through managing the image that we put out to the world. I would say the ultimate goal is this, that we manipulate our image in a way that looks authentic to others, right? Like whenever you take a selfie, uh, oftentimes you don't want it to look like a selfie. You want it to look like somebody else is there. And so what you do is, you, is now you, you have the, the selfie stick, right? Some of you have bought selfie. So the whole purpose of the selfie stick is to make it look like you've got friends, right? So you might be like hiking alone, but you got your selfie stick. So people are like, oh, they were, you know, must have been with somebody. But the idea is that it looks like a, a natural photo. It looks like real life, you know? Another way of putting it would be that I want people to see what I want them to see without them knowing I want them to see it, Right? I want people to see what I want them to see without them knowing that I want them to see it. So we're really sneaky about this, right? We're, really, we're always careful. What's in the background of this photo? What is this communicating, right? Does my hair look good? Is it my good side? Is, you know, people, people spend a lot of time on that. And some of you are here and you're like, I could care less about Instagram. This message isn't for me. But I will tell you that everyone in this room has an image that you project. Everyone in this room has a certain version of yourself that you want the world to see. And it comes out in the way that you speak at work. It comes out in the person you become around your friends or at school. Wherever it is, we have a projected self. And this has been a temptation to sort of create a different version of ourselves and to manage our image. It's been a temptation from the very beginning. 
And if you're new to church, before we get to Matthew 23, I want to catch you up with the story. Because we read in Genesis that, that God created mankind, created man and women, and said that it is good. And what we see in the garden is this beautiful intimacy between two people and their God. And this was a place of total acceptance. And what we read in, in Genesis is that they were naked and had no shame, which I will tell you that isn't me at this point, right? Like, I don't just run around naked with no shame. Like, my kids do. And, and it's funny, like, we all start off life this way. Um, and, and, like, as a baby, there's no shame in being naked, right? But at some point, you're like, I got to put some clothes on. And, and for mankind at this point, there was just no sense of that. There, it was just total innocence in where they were. And then God said there's, there's this tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was really this, this tree was going to change them if they were to eat of it. And God said, you can eat of all the trees except for this one tree. And just like all of us, whenever God says, don't do something, that's right where we hang out, right? Like we've got a world of opportunities and, and ways to enjoy our life, but we want to hang out right by our sin, right? Right by the opportunity. So they're hanging out by the tree. And here's where we pick it up in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 6 says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Seems innocent enough, right? They just ate of this tree, not a big deal. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So, I mean, that verse begs some questions. Did they not know they were naked, right? Like before, you you eat an apple and all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I'm naked. This seems really strange, but really what is being described here is the moment that their innocence was, was taken away. The moment where they had no shame and they had no fear and no anxiety, all of a sudden it's replaced with fear and shame and anxiety. And this, this idea of the tree of the knowledge of good, good and evil, really what's going on there is, is up until that point, God was the only one judging the world. God was the only one determining good from evil. And, and then when they ate of the fruit, they themselves took on the role of God. And as man takes on the role of God to, to, to determine good from evil, what's removed is that sense of innocence. And now they're judging themselves, and they're like, oh my goodness, we got to cover up. So they build, they, they create these loincloths, which I would say would be like, like the first Instagram filter, right? This is the first moment that, that they saw what they are, and they didn't like what they saw. And we've all been there before, where you have an image that's being projected, and you don't like what you see. And so we try to cover it up. We try to filter it out. We try to make sure that people only see what we want them to see. So mankind, until uh, from that point, even until today, is now marked by shame. That we look at ourselves and we judge ourselves the way that we see things and we feel shame. If you want to write something down as we start off today, here's the key desire that I see in all of this. At the core of every human being, I believe, is the desire to be accepted for who you are. We all want to be accepted right where we are. And, and so I want to give you a little bit of a theological groundwork for this whole topic um, because I do believe that Jesus meets us right where we are. And I want you to know that I don't know where you've come in today. Maybe you know nothing about the Bible or church and this feels really foreign, that God wants to meet you right where you are. And maybe you've been in the church for your entire life and maybe you feel like your, your faith is a little stale today. And I just believe God meets us right where we are. 
and that we have an opportunity to be accepted by God. And as Christians, we believe that there is this moment in time where we put our faith in Jesus, we surrender our lives to him, and we begin to walk in his path, become disciples of Jesus. And so most people understand that we are forgiven at that point, forgiven for our sins. And so uh, maybe you've had the, the gospel presented to you before where, where you acknowledge, hey, there is sin in my life. It's why I judge myself the way that I do. It's why I judge others the way that I do. We acknowledge our sin before God, and Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so there's this moment where we do that, and, and, and the, the theological word is justification. So we're, we're justified before God, or it's another way of putting it is it's just as if we had never sinned before God, which is really good news. But the problem is a lot of Christians don't realize that something else happens in that moment. That not only are we forgiven for our sins, justified before God, but we are also adopted. That we're brought into the family of God. The, the, the scripture says that God wraps his robes of righteousness around us, and he invites us to the, to the head of the table. And he makes us one of his children. And so I think there's all these Christians running around who are like, I'm forgiven by God. And so they view God sort of like this, this angry Zeus God with lightning bolts, and he's going to zap you, and, and you screwed up in life, and you're like, God, forgive me. And he goes, okay, I will. And he's just, he's just waiting for the next thing that you do wrong, right? God's just relenting barely from destroying you. And so a lot of Christians live their lives going, okay, I'm going to go to heaven because God forgives me. Instead of seeing God as a, a loving father that says, I want to invite you into my family. I want to seat you at the table with me. I want a relationship with you. I want to call you my son. I want to call you my daughter. There are all these Christians who feel forgiven but not adopted. And, and I think this is so key to our conversation about acceptance, is for you to feel accepted means that you understand adoption and you receive the, the, the family, the, being brought into the family of God the way that Jesus wants to give that to you. So if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 23. Um, you can also download the ACF Church app, and the scriptures will be all on there. I'd love for you to follow along. Um, this passage is really, this is the last public sermon that Jesus teaches. And there's this crowd of people along with these religious leaders called the Pharisees that he's speaking to. And these Pharisees specifically were professionals at managing their image. I mean, this is really all they did. I mean, if you could be professional at Instagram, which I think some people are, this is what they would be, is they were professionals at managing their image to the world, which is so interesting because Jesus did absolutely the opposite thing. In fact, as you look at the life of Christ, what you see is him doing things and saying things that looked really bad. Like, and in many ways, it, he put himself in situations where he could be seen like, like, a, like a sinner, right? So he's eating with prostitutes during the day. He's picking grain on the Sabbath, breaking the law that they, as they saw it. And, and he, he's saying things that really challenge the religious status quo. Turns water into lots of wine, right? Like, Jesus, you're contributing to drunkenness. Like, there's a lot of things that Jesus was uh, ridiculed for. And he put himself in those situations intentionally to challenge the way that these religious leaders saw what it meant to have life and life to the fullest, the way that God designed humanity. So there's this sharp contrast between the two. And here, here we pick it up in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. 
And so he says, these teachers of the law, not everything they're saying is wrong. In fact, they're opening the scriptures. They're teaching you what, what Moses said. Like, that's good. It's under, it, to understand the law for what it is. So Jesus is like, don't write off everything that, that is the message of these religious leaders. But the messengers, he's kind of saying, write them off. Because they don't practice what they preach. They are hypocrites, Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, they don't do what they're teaching you to do. Verse 4 says, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. And they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So interesting imagery of tying loads. And and people would have understood this. A lot of times if they wanted to move products across a a town or over the hills, they would actually load these things on top of animals in in like like a sack that they would tie up. Or even people would be used to to move things around. And so they're like, hey, what these religious leaders are doing, they're just tying these heavy loads on on, on the people. And yet they themselves don't do anything to help carry the load. They don't even expect themselves to live up to the expectations they place on others. This this terminology, heavy burdens, it's actually the Greek word barus. And and this word, it's, it's more than heavy burdens, Like, we're not talking about, like, a religious backpack here. Like, a little bit of a load, you know, but we can handle it. This word, barus, means oppressive, unbearable, even violent. Like, this is not a minor deal, what these guys are doing. This is damaging people. It's damaging God's message to the world. They are not speaking the truth, Jesus says. This is a massive load. And if you want to write something down here today, write this down. A filtered life does violence to ourselves and others. The way these religious people loaded people down was doing violence on themselves. And it was doing violence on others. And yet Jesus shows up and says, hey, take my yoke upon you. My load is easy. My burden is easy. My load is light. So again, sharp contrast between Jesus and these religious leaders. So what about you? We all present a false self. We all, to some degree, manage our image in front of people. And, and I wonder, have you ever considered, like, what that's doing to your soul? Or considered what it's doing to the people around you? I mean, for us, it's just protecting ourselves. We're just, you know, making a, a loincloth of fig leaves. We're just trying to cover up here. But maybe it's destroying us in ways that we don't even see. Have you ever thought that the image that you create is also the image that you have to live up to? And have you ever thought that maybe you've created a unattainable standard for yourself that is robbing you of the life that God intended you to live? Like we spend all of our time, once we create a false self, then trying to live up to that false self. And so some of you are just racked up in a lot of debt because you want to be the person that you project to the world. Uh, some of you spend a lot of time doing things and, and saying things that you otherwise wouldn't do because you are trying to live up to the false image, the false self that you've created. And over time, what that does is it does damage to ourselves, damage to the people that God actually intended us to be. Because you can't actually live as the person God made you to be when you're trying to be somebody else. It's just a lie, right? So it hurts us. It also hurts other people, I think, when we create this false self. Uh, I remember a while back, a friend of mine, um, he came up to me and he just sharing some struggles in his life. And he's like, man, I just, our marriage is really bad right now. And um, he goes, he goes, honestly, I didn't want to tell you about it. I was like, well, thanks, man. Like, why didn't you want to talk to you? He goes, well, because your marriage is perfect, you know? And I was just like, oh, I failed. I failed as a pastor, right? Um, 
If you stick around here very long, what you'll learn is that most of my stories are about me failing. I love to tell stories about how I don't do the right thing um, because I see that that's, that's real life for me, right? And so for him, he just apparently hadn't heard enough of uh, my stories about struggling in my own marriage. And so he was dealing with his own problems. He was dealing with their own communication issues. And heaped on top of that is this sense of shame that everybody else's marriage is better than mine. And, and does that, is that helpful in any way? Of course not. Of course it's not helpful. And, and you could say, well, Brian, that's not your fault. Like, I mean, he chose to, to have that perception about you. But as God's people, here's the deal. Um, if you're my brother, you're my sister, then your problems are my problems. And that we're to bear each other's burdens. And so I just began like th- explaining to him, like, man, I, I, we, we struggle too. And here's a season in our marriage where communication was just falling apart and, and, and just some stories about our lives. And isn't there something inside of us that feels really good when we see other people struggle? Can we just acknowledge that? There's something inside of us that kind of comes alive when we're like, okay, other people have problems too. Other people struggle too, right? I mean, this is, this is something that was doing damage in his heart that he kind of had put us up on a pedestal or other couples on a pedestal. And so instead of just being honest, he had hidden his struggles with his marriage because he's trying to produce a false self uh, for the world to see. A filtered life does damage to others. It does damage to ourselves And so sometimes we just need to see real life. Instagram uh, does this sometimes where you'll see Instagram versus real life. Have you seen these before? I love these pictures. So here is the classic family photo, right? Aren't they they happy? Isn't this your family uh, photo day just like this? The kids are smiling. They just sit there with a letter like, oh, mommy, how long do you want me to sit here? I'm just, I'm happy. And then then there's real life. Yes. (laughs) See, you laugh because this is everybody in the room. That other photo took six hours and they were crying in between. You know, like, like, this is real life and it makes us feel so good, right? Let's see the next photo here. Oh, look at those perfect blue eyes, perfect symmetrical face. Like the child is, you know, wide-eyed and ready for life. The, 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 the fabric's draped perfectly over his head. Let's see the next one. This is real life. I love that. Anger. Anger. My little boy has been angry since he was born, right? Six years of just pure anger. I don't know what happened. He came out angry and has stayed angry since then. Let's do one more because it makes me feel good about myself. Aw, so cute. So cute. Everything's perfect in this picture. The, the guy's stubble, like that's a nice beard. He's got some good beard game. The baby's face is perfect. Mom's looking great. Let's see real life. Yes, that is real. But nobody puts that on their Christmas card. For once, can we just do this as a church? Can we make a commitment? Everybody in this room this Christmas puts one of these real-life photos on their Christmas card. You'll be surprised. You will get letters back. People will thank you. Like, oh, it's so good. Sometimes we just need to see real life, don't we? We just need to see real life. Verse 5. It says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad, that's a fun word, and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They do everything to be seen, don't they? They're constantly creating an image for the world. It talks about their phylacteries. It's a fun word. 
Uh, basically what's going on here is these religious leaders had taken a, a, a literal interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 6, and, and it's this verse about uh, tying the scriptures on your forehead between your eyes, and, and so they said, well, what's a good way that we can look really holy? Like, like we're really tight with God, and we know the scriptures. Well, let's actually do this. And so they would make these little leather boxes, and they would write scriptures, and they'd put them in the leather boxes, and then they would literally tie these boxes on their foreheads and walk around which to us seems really strange, but to them was like a mark of holiness. Like we are part of the elite crowd, God's special people who wear these leather boxes on our heads, right? And so they would do this intentionally to create a a false self, an image for the world to see to impress others. And then it talks about their titles. They loved their titles. They loved it as they'd walk through the marketplace, walking through town, the people would see them and, and they would give them a place of honor with their titles. And I wonder for you, maybe is this how you're hiding? Is this your place of hiding, that you're hiding behind your, your education or your accomplishments or your job that you have? And you love that people call you doctor. They call you sir when you're at work. Whatever it is that, again, these aren't bad things. Or reverend, I, I can get called reverend, right? It's not a bad thing. The title's not the problem. It's just the question, why do you need that? Like, why, why is there such a drive? And what is it that comes alive inside of you when you hear people put you up on a pedestal like that? What is it that, that feeds you in that, in that moment? There's something wrong here. I think we all need to face it, that we're all looking for admiration. I think we all want to be admired by others. And, and, and to some degree, we hope that people would see us and go, I want, I want his life. I want her life. I would say that our filtered life is a well-crafted shrine to our false selves. As I look at my Instagram feed or yours or, or whoever's, what you can kind of see is like we're creating a, a shrine to our false selves that we put out there for people to see this like beautiful, perfect life and it's a place of worship. I mean, could it be that what comes alive in us when we get that place of prominence is that we all want worship? That we all to some degree want other people to want what we have? And here's what I realized as I was kind of struggling through this for the past week, writing this message, is that often I believe we seek admiration in the areas of our deepest insecurities. And maybe you're like, well, I'm not an insecure person. Um, I would look at the areas of your life that you seek admiration, and I would, I would, I would bet that that's a place of deep insecurity. Like, like maybe you're insecure about your body image. And so what you seek admiration for is for your body. Maybe you're insecure about your stuff, and like you grew up in a house where you didn't have the nice clothes, and all your friends, they made fun of you because you didn't have nice stuff. And so now, every Instagram post has like a picture, like in the background, your sweet trucks in the background, or like, you know, you gotta make sure people can see the house or whatever. And we, we create an image for people to sometimes combat our deepest insecurities. And it's, it's a shrine, it's a, it's a well-crafted shrine to the false self, and it's a trap. It's a trap, it's such a trap, because I would say this too, what people admire you for is the same thing that they'll abandon you for. So you create this false self that everybody loves you for, and then at one point they see the, the real you, right? Have you, ever, have you ever had that happen, you had a friendship, and then somebody saw the, the, the real you, the you that struggles the you that's not the perfect mom or the perfect um, dad or whatever, and they see real life and all of a sudden, they're not calling anymore. They don't want to hang out anymore. See, these are not real relationships. Again, Jesus has a better way to live. Jesus shows us a much better way to live. 
Verse 8, he commands them. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. In other words, he's like, you guys don't realize it, but you guys are all in this together. Like, there might be people, I might be on this stage today teaching, but understand this, I hope you know this, I'm in this with you. And most things that you struggle with, I've struggled with, or our family has struggled with. That we're actually in this together. Verse 9, and call no man your father on earth, for for you have one father who is in heaven. In other words, you've given people the authority that God deserves. You've actually made people the ones that you want to impress instead of going to God and seeking what he thinks. He says, you have one father, and he's in heaven. Verse 10, neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, Christ. So what would it look like to be accepted? What, what would change in your life? Not just social media or, like, what would actually change in your soul to know that you could be accepted by God? I mean, it would, it would shape the way that you live, wouldn't it? I mean, you could actually, and I want you to hear this, it's okay to have a great job. It's okay to have some nice stuff. I mean, it's, it, there's even this kind of thing in our culture of like beauty shaming, right? If you're pretty, you should feel shame, right? That, it's okay to be pretty, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. It's the question, why are you doing this? What is driving your heart? And I would say that the driving force behind all of us is to feel acceptance. And when we feel accepted, it changes the way that we present the gospel. It it actually shows people the real truth of the gospel because we're not hiding anything anymore. In fact, there's this man named Paul, and Paul is, um, I would say, apart from Christ, probably the most influential man uh, that's ever lived in the church and wrote most of the New Testament And this man was talented. This man was like a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew the law. He was an amazing presenter, an amazing speaker. And he had the the skills and talents to get everybody's love and and, and approval and acceptance. He had the ability to earn it. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of which God, or the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you hear what he said there? In other words, he he actually diminished his ability to present. He actually kind of neutralized himself so that he could make sure that God was on display. I mean, this doesn't even cross our minds. I mean, this is so countercultural that we would diminish ourselves, that we might lower ourselves so that who's on display is Christ that Christ is who's on display in the most part. You see, our filtered lives are a shrine to our false selves, but when the church goes unfiltered, she becomes a picture of God's redemption for the world. What if you were to let your guard down? And there's there's fear there, right? What what would people think if they actually saw me for who I am? Would they even let me go to church if they knew where I've been or what I think sometimes? But when you go unfiltered, when you're willing to to let people see you for who you are, you become a picture of God's redemption. I mean, how will people see the beauty of God's grace when the church walks around like we don't need it? Think about that. How will people see how radical it is that God accepts us for who we are when we can't even acknowledge our sin before others? And so as God's church, I want to be the kind of community that leads the way in this. 
that we'd lead the way in authenticity, that, that when people come into these doors, it would be a breath of fresh air, like, man, everywhere I go, it's image management. But when I come to church, it's authenticity. It's real. And there's something that comes in, alive inside of us. It's just like those silly pictures that just acknowledges that we all struggle, we all have issues, and God loves us right where we're at. I mean, isn't that beautiful that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? He didn't like die for us and then find out how jacked up we are and be like, oh, like he knew that way before. He knew what he was dying for on the cross and yet he still sacrificed everything for you. So what if you today, maybe you're a Christian and you've hung out in this place where you're like, yeah, I think God forgives me, but he certainly doesn't accept me. What would change in your life if you stepped across the line and you believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that God accepts you, that you are his son, you are his daughter, and you've done nothing to earn it? I mean, that's like adoption, right? A a child, an infant that needs to be adopted does nothing to earn adoption. They can't do anything. They're completely helpless. It's only by the grace of the parents who adopt the child that they would be brought into a family. And that is the scandalous nature of God's grace, that he welcomes us into the family, having done nothing for ourselves. And the stakes are really high here. In fact, Jesus, in other points, talks to these religious leaders who do their best to follow the law. And he says, if you want to be responsible for one part of the law, then you're responsible for all of it. So know this today, you cannot accept this adoption. You cannot accept this grace if you're still trying to earn it. Jesus is like, if you want to try to live it up, if you want to try to go be holy and show everybody how perfect you are, then you, you better do it perfectly. And all of us know what will result of that, right? Shame. A feeling of being left out. We've all had plenty of that in our lives, but what we need more of is this feeling of acceptance. To know that God loves us right where we are. Accepts us right in this moment. And when we as the church receive this, there will be healing and restoration that happens. In fact, there's this verse in the book of James, this is James chapter 5, verse 16, that says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, until this week, every time I've read that passage, I've made it about me. I've thought, okay, I want to be healed, so I guess I have to confess my sins so I can be healed. But these are you all statements. When you all confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, you all may be healed. This is a, there's a corporate nature to the healing that comes through honesty and confession. I'd never thought before that through my confession that maybe you could be healed. And what if through your confession the person next to you could be healed? And what if through all of us being honest, Eagle River could be healed? There's power in honesty. There's power in authenticity. And I get that you're scared. And I get that you're worried about what might happen. But once again, whose approval are you looking for? Whose approval ultimately matters? You see, Jesus in Philippians 4, it says that he emptied himself. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. And this idea of emptying himself is to, is to put everybody else's approval out of his mind. 
and his reputation out of his mind and to put it all on the line and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna empty myself of any need for anyone else's approval or reputation. I'm just going to do what the Father tells me to do. And for Jesus, that led to death. But it's a death that ultimately resulted in life for us. And I just think the church cannot operate with these false pretenses. That the gospel is not beautiful when the church walks around like we don't need it. But when we acknowledge our sin before God and before each other, the gospel becomes exactly what it's supposed to be. And here's the other part of this I want to close with. God accepts us where we are. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe that God's acceptance must be accepted. That you actually have to receive it. And that although all of us are loved by God, I want to tell you not all of us are his children today. That not everyone in this room is one of God's children. It's kind of like there's a lot of kids in my life, but there are only three kids that are mine. So the acceptance of God must be accepted. So what would it look like for you today to just come bare before God, just like spiritually naked before God, like here I am, it's not beautiful. And to experience the embrace of a loving father who says, I'm going to love you right where you are. Would you stand up together? I want to pray this over us today. God, we acknowledge our sin before you. And God, we want to confess the false self that we've presented to the world. God, that we even try to fool you sometimes. God, we understand today that it's a trap and that there's no relationship that's built on a lie that's really a real relationship. God, it scares us to be seen. And we wonder sometimes, what worth will we have without the approval or the admiration of others? And yet as those created by you, God, you have given us an infinite amount of value. As the Imago Dei, the image of God, we have worth. Thank you, God, for creating us that way for giving us this worth. God, thank you that it's a gift, and and since it's a gift that we couldn't earn, we know that it's a gift that we cannot lose. So God, give us that peace today. I pray that we could operate from your love instead of for your love. And God, that this would be the same kind of environment as we gather together in homes during the week and in church on Sunday that we would be a a community of acceptance. God, thank you that you love us where we are, and yet you call us to greater things. God, thank you that you don't leave us in our sin, but you call us to a greater life of holiness. God, may we do the same with each other, God, acceptance. And yet may we be the kind of people who encourage each other to live your best for us. Thank you, God, for justifying us, for cleansing us, And yet, God, also adopting us into the family. God, we don't deserve it. And yet, you love us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.